you guys love seeing young people down in the front worshiping God. That's good, right? I think a healthy church has all generations. I think a healthy church needs young kids in the kids' rooms, and a healthy church needs the young teenagers and the young adults. A healthy church needs parents and grandparents in it. And I love that this church is healthy. I love that you guys know how to worship, and you guys know what it looks like to be a community together. And I know that he's not here with us this morning, um, but I need to honor Pastor Tyrone Sr. This man is an amazing man of God. Would you just give it up for Pastor Tyrone Sr.? He's not here right now, but let's honor him. Come on. He's actually right now over at my church, the Father's House up in Vacaville, California. Uh, Pastor Dave and our church has been praying for you guys. We love what you guys are doing. Um, and I want to I give it up for uh, Pastor Ty- Tyrone Sr. and his wife, Karina. They are incredible youth pastors. Oh, Ty- Tyrone Jr., yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. But they're awesome. We love you guys, too. Um, I forgive you for inviting me out in the heat. They invited the palest, blue-eyed, blonde-haired person to Arizona. I burned the moment I got off the plane, and that was in the evening at dark. <laughs> oh, man, but I love this church. Uh, my life was changed yesterday when Pastor Tyrone Jr. Uh, took me to, I believe it's Mr. G's. I've never had Mexican food like that before. That was, that was good. Um, and uh, I want to honor my wife, Erin. Um, could you stand up real quick? Yeah, you're going to do it. Stand up. She's amazing. She's amazing. I definitely married up, and all the men said amen. <laughs> um, I just want to share a little bit about myself. Um, I was not one of those young kids that was raised in church. Um, I actually just started going to church about five and a half years ago. And when I showed up to church, I was really broken and hurting. When I showed up to church, I was addicted to a lot. Um, I was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and um, I didn't want anything to do with God. I had a misconception of God. Um, And when I showed up to the youth ministry at the time, I was going to my senior year of high school. And when I showed up, I didn't want anything to do with it, but I showed up to their youth camp. When I showed up to their youth camp, my life was completely changed. I believe that one moment in the presence of God can really change everything. And that five years ago, five years ago, when I gave my life to Jesus, everything changed. I've been five years sober. I've been five years following Jesus. I've gotten plugged into the local church. My wife and I, we have the privilege to be the youth and young adult pastors at the Father's House Napa campus. Um, and we're just so grateful to be part of the team. And um, I'm just honored to be on the stage with you guys here this morning. Um, but if you got your Bibles, you can up to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. Um, I've got a little bit of scripture I'm going to read to you guys this morning. Um, if you want to put your finger in John 5, and then you could turn over to Psalm 62. I'll be bouncing back and forth. A little bit of scripture about how many of you guys know that, this, that the Bible is our daily bread. It's not our weekly or monthly or yearly bread, but it's our daily bread because it gives us life. So I'm going to believe that even if I am horrible today preaching, that the word of God does not return void. So what we read in scripture, it will do something in your spirit today. So Psalm 62 verses 1 through 8, David writes, I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. Would everyone be able to say rock with me? One more time, can everyone say rock? 
He's my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. So many enemies against one man at all of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my face, but curse me in their hearts. Let all that I am, I love that. Let all that I am, if you've got a highlighter, lipstick, you can circle. Let all that I am, wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. You don't have to do the lipstick thing. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him for God is our refuge. I love that portion of scripture. One more for you guys and then we're gonna jump into the message. It's John 5, one through eight. John 5, one through eight. It says this, afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on these porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Has anyone ever gotten hangry before? You get hangry, you know what that means? You get, you get so hungry, you become angry. It's a problem in our house. My wife, no, I'm kidding, I get hangry. This is convicting, 38 years issue, and I get mad over one meal missed. Been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool where the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. As I jump into the message here today, um, I'm definitely a, uh, you could call it a holler back preacher. So I like when you respond. I like the amens, the come ons, the that's good. You can even get down with your bad self and say, preach a white boy if you want. But um, I love when you guys respond. I believe that what you put into the message, you get out of it. So I believe that if you want to get something out of this message, then if you just engage, you can take some notes. Not because of what I have to say is great, but I believe that God wants to speak to you today. But what you put in, you get out. Amen. Come on, can we pray together this morning? God, we love you. I thank you for church, for the city, God. And I pray right now, Lord, that your presence would be here. I thank you, Lord, that today is all about one person, and that's you, Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that whatever brokenness people walked in here with, that they would leave mended and whole. God, I pray today that every single one of us, God, we would see a clear picture of you, Jesus. We would see how good you are, how much you love us, God. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. And everybody said, amen. Thank you guys for playing. Um, so how, to be honest, you guys can be honest in church. I think that's an appropriate place. Have any of you ever been around a person that's an overpacker for trips? Like you're going on a two-day vacation and, and that person just packs way too many. All the honest people. Men, I know you're lying right now because there's some of you that <laughs> an overpacker. So my wife and I, um, you might be surprised by this, but my wife, she is not that at all. She's very conservative. I am the one who will pack way too much. Pastor Tyrone Jr. was saying that he's just that way too, that he packs way too much. Uh, but we just went on our youth camping, or our youth trip at our church a few weeks ago, and it's only three days long, but I packed way too much. I didn't even touch like half the clothes because, you know, you never know, even though it's summer, what if it snows? You got to make sure that you have the long sleeve on in the beanie. So I packed way too much, but my wife and I, we got invited to go camping. Does anyone enjoy camping here? 
wow, I don't. <laughs> but uh, we got invited to go camping. I'm like, if I'm going to go on vacation, it's in a nice hotel, room service. Come on, somebody, preach it. Um, but we got invited to go camping uh, just a few months ago with a couple of our friends. And we were going to Yosemite, California. I'd never been there before. I've just seen postcards, but it looks beautiful. So as we're getting ready for Yosemite, we were leaving on a Friday. So I started packing on Monday. So I started getting ready, making sure all the clothes and everything were ready. So I pack on Monday. And by the time we left Friday, we were there. We were going to stay up for one night. We're going to go up Friday afternoon, stay Friday evening, go hike Saturday, come back Saturday. Uh, but I made sure that I packed my short sleeve shirt for the car ride up. I had to pack my long sleeve because if it got cold outside. But then you have to pack a sweater because what if it gets really cold? I packed a hat just for fashion. And I packed a, hat, or I packed a beanie because if it gets freezing out, you got to have the beanie on too. I made sure I brought my sunglasses. I packed four pairs of socks. Because why not? Um, I packed my hiking shoes because, of course, we were going to go hiking. I packed my sandals because that's the best thing to wear in the car. Sorry for my feet smelling in the car, but, you know, it's comfortable. I had to pack my fashionable shoes because, well, you know, what if we ran into a famous person? Um, I, I had to pack, I had to pack um, about 10 different pairs of shorts and pants. And I don't know what got into me, but I just had to pack so many things for this camping trip. I packed our tent. Um, and this tent is from, like, the 40s. This tent is like ghetto to the extreme, um, but we have our tent and all that. So we pack it up into the car. We pick up our friends and we go head out to Yosemite. It's about a four hour drive from where we're at. So we go out to Yosemite. And when we get there, this is in the middle of February. So it is cold. You guys don't understand cold here uh, because it stays 110 and never go. I sh- we showed up to the airport on, I believe it was Thursday night. We got off the plane at 1130. It was 92 out. That is ridiculous. That's like the highest it gets in Napa, California. But, um, but so we get to Yosemite and it's pretty cold out. So when we get there, it's in the evening. It's starting to get dusk and dark out. So we decide we need just setting up our tent. We need to get this thing set up before it gets too dark. And uh, we start setting up the tent. And I'm a man, so I don't use instruction manuals. Um, (laughs) Pride. Um, So I start trying to set up this tent, and I get the tarp on the ground. And I'm going to be honest. I'm not much of a manly man. Like, I'm going to hire someone to fix something for me. I don't know how to use tools. or No, you shouldn't clap. That's a horrible thing. So, So I start trying to set up this tent, and it's not working. It's not working. I'm trying to hammer down the things, and it's upside down, then flipped around. And I finally get it. About 20 minutes go by. Our buddies their tent set up. They're basically already sleeping. The other friends, they have a giant tent that could fit China in there. So they're good to go. No kids either. So Erin and I, we're just, she's just sitting on the table watching me try to put this tent together. After 20 minutes, it's not working. And I finally came to the realization as to why it wasn't working. It's because we had packed everything but our tent poles. How do you know that that's a problem when you have a tent without tent poles? That thing is not going to work the way it was intended to work. So that night, we had to sleep in the freezing cold in Yosemite, California, on top of the tent. We just put our sleeping bags and everything on top of the tent. But here's the problem is my wife, bless her heart, but she has a fear of bears. 
So we were sleeping right next to a bear locker because I guess they get bears in Yosemite. So there's a bear locker where you can store food and all that. So she's freaking out. She hears the, she hears the fire crackling and she keeps thinking that that's a bear walking. So finally I fall asleep. She's laying next to me. And uh, uh, I don't know what got into me. I usually don't, but that night I decided to start snoring. And in the middle of my snoring, she thought that I was a bear growling. So she, she freaks out. She starts screaming. She elbows me in the ribs, nearly broke my ribs cage, and she told us, we need to go sleep in the car. I know I'm short, but sleeping in a car is never comfortable. <laughs> but I believe that it was easy to forget the tent poles. Why? Because it's really not, it's really not the thing that you think about when you're, ca- when you're going for camping. You're going to pack all of the necessities, all the other things. And, and, and for me, it was really easy to forget the tent poles. And I believe that this morning, it is equally as easy to forget about our foundation in our life. I believe that this morning, it is easy to forget about and neglect the very thing we're building our lives on. If you want a definition for the foundation I'm talking about today, it is the very thing you're building your life on. And I believe in this room, everyone is building their life on something, but there's a diversity in what you're building your life on. I've only been pastoring for a little over two years now, but I've come in contact with a lot of different people, and I've come in contact with a lot of different people who build their lives on a lot of different things. I've seen a lot of young people and a lot of young adults build their lives on friendships. They build their lives on their friends. They call them, they call them squads and crews in California. I don't know about you guys probably aren't that weird, but, but, but they, they build their lives on their friends. That is who they identify with while they're at school. And I see other people, they build their lives on their families. Their life is built on their family. And I see other people, they build their lives on their jobs and their careers, and they build their lives off of the status. Now they're the CEO. Now they're the manager. Now they're this and that corporation. And they build their lives. That is their identity. That is who they are. That is what they're building their life on. I've seen other people build their life on their bank account. It's quiet in here, I know. They build their life on their bank account, their savings account. They, they build their life because they have X amount of money and that's comfortable and we've got this and they're working a bunch of different jobs and this is their foundation in their lives. And I'm not here to knock all of these different things. I think all of these things are absolutely incredible. But my question to you is, is your current foundation able to withhold your future aspirations? Is your current foundation able to withhold the God-given dream and destiny that God has for you? And if your answer is yes, then that's incredible. My next question would be, when's the last time you've checked your foundation? When's the last time you've inspected it? When's the last time you've actually worked on your foundation in your life? I'm gonna read a portion of scripture to you guys this morning. And I love this. It's in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And this is Jesus and this is, this is what it says. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Can everyone say rock again? Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who heals, hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. Can everybody say sand? When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. 
See, here's the interesting thing about this story is that there's two houses represented. There's the house that is built on sand, and then there's the house that is built on rock. And the interesting thing is, is that you would never know the difference between the two houses up front. And to be completely honest, I think I would prefer to have the house built on sand because that means you're on a beach next to an ocean. Hello, somebody. Praise the Lord. That sounds incredible. I'll take the, I'll take the beach house, Lord. I, I think I would prefer to have the house built on sand. But here's the thing is these houses, they're built on two different things, but they look the same up front. At surface level, I bet they both look beautiful. They're new houses. They're, they're fun looking. Maybe they've even got the two stories on them. These houses are great. If you haven't noticed, these houses represent your lives. So these two lives look exactly the same. They're both fun. They're maybe even fashionable. They've got the stuff. They've got good properties. They seem to be doing fine. But underneath the surface, something that you can't see is that they have two very different foundations. The one foundation is sand while the other is rock. If you want to know the difference between the two, I'm not, I'm not a geologist. I'm not a professional person who goes around and, and discovers bones and all that. But I think it's pretty simple. Sand is just many while rock is one. Sand is just many pieces of rock crumpled down into many pieces of rock. So, so rock is one, sand is many. The difference between the two foundations is that the one person has built their foundation on many things, while the other foundation is the, it is built on one. So the difference between many and one. My question to you guys today is your foundation built on many or one? See, here's the thing though, is in this story, both houses look the same, both houses are fine, they're healthy, they're doing okay. But it isn't until pressure is applied is when the foundations are revealed. When pressure is applied, that's when we start to discover what we're truly building our life on here today. And and the question today is, how do you know if your life is built on sand? How do you know if your life, I believe if your life is built on sand, your life more looks like a construction zone than actually taking ground for the kingdom of God. How many of you guys know that Yuma, Arizona needs a revival? Yuma, Arizona needs people to come back into the churches. There are broken and lost people out in Yuma. There's people who are hurting and broken just like myself five years ago, there are people out there that need you, that need me, that need Pastor Tyrone Sr. But the problem is so many people, we're just busy working on ourselves. We've got the caution tape around our own lives, just trying to figure out how did I get myself here? What is going on? I've been going through the same thing over and over and over. I've brought to the altar the same issue time and time and time again, but it feels like I'm just more of a construction zone in this season. See, a, a foundation built on sand looks kind of like, for me, back when I was in high school, it was, it was sports. Sports was a huge deal in my family and my life. And then another piece of my foundation was, was my reputation. I had a reputation of being the cool person and the partier and all that. So that was part of my foundation. And then a little piece of my foundation was God. Like, I kind of I believed in God, but I never went to church or anything like that. So that was a little piece of my foundation. Another piece was money. I had to make money. I had to make sure that I was living, I was providing for myself my senior or my junior year of high school. So all of these different things made up my foundation. But how many of you guys know that a foundation in a house cannot shift and it cannot change? If in California, I don't know about here, but we get earthquakes. And if an earthquake hits, the foundation in many houses, it tends to shift and change. What happens, cracks begin, you get cracks in the walls and now everything, everything now is, 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 in a, is in a situation. 
in our lives. How many of you guys know that sports literally have seasons? They come and go. How many of you know that friends, they will come and go? How many of you guys know that jobs, you'll either get promoted, demoted, or change your jobs? How many of you guys know that money can sometimes go as fast as it comes? How many of you guys know that, that all these different things, reputations can be given and also taken away? How many of you guys know that all these things can change in your lives? This is probably the reason why some of you guys might be living a life of why do I keep going back to the starting line and I'm never able to get to where I know I'm supposed to be? It's because it keeps changing, it keeps shifting, and we can never actually take ground for the kingdom of God. But then the house that is built on the rock, like I said earlier, is one. I believe that if we can build our lives on the one, then when storms come, when torrents come, when things start to get shaky, we are able to stand because when our life is built on the one, then it's not going to change. But here's the caveat is it can't be built on anything or anyone. It has to be built on the one and his name is Jesus this morning. I believe that there is truly nothing that can truly hold our foundation the way that Jesus can. For some people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig a little deeper. I think for some people, um, not only is it inappropriate, but it's unfair to make your girlfriend or your boyfriend or even your wife or your husband your foundation. They were never intended to carry that weight in your life. You are supposed to be co-partners. You guys are supposed to be one and the same. And when we make our husband or our wives our foundation, the moment they make a mistake, everything collapses. That can never happen. That is, that is selfish to make them your foundation. That is a pressure they were never intended to have this morning. But Jesus is the only one who is worthy and able to be the foundation in our lives. He's the only one who is able to withstand every storm we go through here today. Some of you guys, you might be asking, how is Jesus worthy and able to be my foundation? I believe that Jesus is worthy because whenever I read my Bible, I love reading the gospels, of course, Whenever I read the Gospels, it stays so fresh in my soul. How is Jesus worthy? Well, whenever I read the Bible, Jesus came to this earth a couple thousand years ago. He was born in a manger. He came as God, put skin and bone on. He came to this earth and he lived for 30 years. And in those 30 years, he was preparing for his ministry. Jesus was learning and teaching and growing and all that. And at the age of 30, it was his time. It was his time to begin his ministry. And in that moment, he started to heal. He started to set free. He started to raise the dead back to life. And at the end of those three years, catch this, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't die because he had to, but he died because he wanted to. It says that there was joy set before him, not because he was excited to die, but because he knew that what he was going to do for you and I. Jesus, at that time, at the age of 33, when his three-year ministry was up, he gave his life up on the cross. He got two nails in his hands. He got two nails in his feet. He got the crown of thorns put on his head. He got stabbed in the side. He did all of this. I know it sounds gruesome, but he did all of this for you and I. It says that he died for us while we were still sinners. How many of you guys know you don't have to clean yourself up, make yourself look pretty to come to church, but God sees you in your mess today, and he died for you in your mess today. I think it's safe to say that Jesus is is worthy. Jesus is worthy this morning. You see all these young people down here jumping in worship, acting a fool, raising their hands. Do you know why they're doing that? It's not because, it's not because they're, they're just trying to be something they're not. They're doing it because Jesus is worthy of our praise this morning. Jesus is worthy of our worship this morning. Jesus, he is able. He's able to be our foundation. Well, what do you mean he's able to be our foundation? Well, whenever I read the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, it all points towards the faithfulness of God. 
When you look early on in the Bible, you see Moses. God called Moses and he said, hey, Moses, I want you to lead my Israelites out of captivity. And guess what Moses did? He led them out of captivity. Then you fast forward to Moses' predecessor, Josh. And Joshua was afraid. He was terrified and he was nervous. But God told Joshua, hey, I want you to lead them now into the promised land. Although Joshua was nervous, scared, and afraid, guess what Joshua did? He led them into the promised land. You look at David. God told David, you're going to be king. Yeah, it took a little bit of time. It took a little bit of a process. But guess what? David is now in the Bible. He is King David in the Bible. You can fast forward and you look at Saul in the Bible. He was killing Christians. He was murdering people. He was doing the wrong thing. Jesus in one moment changed his life. And now he's written two-thirds of the New Testament. Come on, how many of you guys know today that God is faithful? Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. He who began a good work in you is going to finish it. Come on, can we give God a shout of praise today? He is faithful. He is able to be our foundations. Hebrews 13, 8, one of my favorite verses. I know some of you already know it before I say it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, this, this, this verse is quoted a lot, and it's preached a lot, and it'll get a lot of amens, and it'll get a, it'll get a lot of hallelujahs, but, but I want us to take a moment to just stop and consider the weight of this verse. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, what, what saddens my heart is when I see some of our leaders at our church, they go from students in the youth ministry, now they're leading in the youth ministry, or we see adults who now begin to lead small groups and connect groups, and we see other people go from just a person, now they get promoted to being a pastor, and here's the problem with so many people is, is when we encounter Jesus for our very first time, we see him as father, but now that we've become a professional Christian, we now see him as officer. At the beginning, we see Jesus' father. He's Abba. He's my everything. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for redeeming me. But after months or even years or even decades, it's easy to slip into the mindset of now he is officer. Now he's the one who's just waiting for me to do something. At the beginning, he, he was grace-filled. He had love in his eyes. But now he's pointing a finger at you. But now he's upset. But now he's saying, son, daughter, you should know better. See, it's so easy to slip into the mindset that he goes from father to officer, but we need to count the weight of this verse. It says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that will sustain you. The same grace that saved you and the same God who wrapped his arms around you at your moment of salvation is the same God 5, 10, 30, 50, 70 years down the road is saying, son, daughter, I love you. Son, daughter, I believe in you. Son, daughter, you've made mistakes, but you're not a mistake. You are my son and my daughter. Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Cling to this verse. Know this verse. The same God that, that saved me is the same God that can redeem me and change my life. See, there's, a, there's another story in the Bible I want to read to you guys because for a lot of you guys, this sounds great. God's good. God's awesome. He's holy. He's my redeemer. That's awesome. But some of you guys, you walked in this room and you're saying, I still feel broken. I still feel hurting. I still have this issue. My kids are still far from God or my parents are still far from God or I've got this addiction. I've got this thing deep down in my soul that nobody else knows about in this room. I've got this sin pattern that will not break. And let me tell you today that you're not alone. You're not alone in this world. And there's actually a story that relates to this very closely. It's what I read earlier, John 5, 1 through 8. It's about the man who was outside the pool of Bethesda and he had had this issue for 38 years. He was paralyzed for 38 years. He had this problem. 
What I love is that Jesus walks up and he approaches the gentleman and he says, he, he walks up to him and he says, would you like to get well? Now, let's pause here for a moment. I know we're all Christians and we think, yeah, that's very appropriate to say. Can we take a second? If you've had a problem for 38 years and Jesus says, would you like to get well? I'm about to say, shoot, Jesus, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, like this question is almost appalling. It's almost, it's almost offensive. Jesus, really? 38 years and his problem and now you're asking, do you want to get well? Well, actually, I think if we take a moment, I think it's a very appropriate question to ask. Because I think for so many of us, we get comfortable in our issues. We get comfortable, it becomes familiar. It kind of becomes who we are. So the question today is not, can God heal you? It's, do you want to be healed? The question today is not, can God set you free? Because we know he can, but it's, do you want to be free? The question today is not, do you want to get to heaven? But, or the question today is not, can you get to heaven? But it's, do you actually want to go to heaven? See, we need to flip that question because Jesus is legitimately saying, son, do you want to be healed or do you want to sit in this for the rest of your life? And the question and response is so important. We need to understand that when Jesus asks a, asks a question like that, what is our response to it? I believe today Jesus has, is asking every single one of you, son, daughter, do you want to get healed? Do you want to be free? Do you want salvation? And our response is going to give us the answer to that. But in order for Jesus to be our foundation in our lives, we need a clear picture of Jesus. See, when I was young, I had a misconception of who I thought Jesus was. I really did think he was the angry God. I thought he was really distant. I thought that it was this very religious experience where it wasn't about relationship, but I just had to do, 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 and work my way up to heaven. So we need a clear picture of who Jesus is today. And I believe that this story gives us a very clear picture of who Jesus is. I want you to write down number one if you're taking notes. I want you to write down number one that Jesus, Jesus walked into a mess. Jesus walked into a mess. Catch this. Jesus is in a three-year ministry and three years trying to save the world. Talk about pressure. Talk about pressure. Three years, he's here to save the world. And if I was here for three years to save the world, I'd probably be trying to talk with the presidents and the leaders of the states and all that. But Jesus shows up to this, honestly, what it was, was a ghetto hospital. He shows up to this place where there is nothing but lame, paralyzed, and blind people laying around. Jesus walks into a mess. I love the fact that Jesus, when he was born... When Jesus was born, he was born in a manger. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born on a beautiful hill. But Jesus was born in a dirty slum manger. I love the fact that Jesus was born into a mess. And what that represents to me, if Jesus was born in a mess, he's not afraid of your mess. Whatever mess you're bringing into this church today, he's not afraid of it. He's not worried. I wonder if my son or daughter can make it through. No, no, how many of you guys know that greater is he that is within you than he is that, was, that is within this world? The mess you have in your life does not scare Jesus. The mess you have today is not unfamiliar to Jesus. I love how Jesus, he just walks right into the mess. He's not worried about your mess. I know for Sunday church, we put on the makeup, we wear the nice clothes, we do the routine, we do all this. We might even raise a hand in worship and preach on the preacher, but can we get real for a moment? What's on the inside? I think for some of us, we're walking in with a mess. And I believe that the best churches are messy churches. I believe that the best churches are people when they realize I'm not perfect. I am a sinner. I need Jesus. We can come to the altar and ask for forgiveness. I love the fact when churches get messy with people who know, you know what, I've got a problem. I need Jesus. That's the beauty of it. And, and if you need Jesus, can I tell you today that he's waiting for you. Jesus, he number one, walks into a mess. And number two, we need to know the posture of Jesus. We need to understand the posture of Jesus in this story. 
See, it's so easy for us to get the posture of Jesus mixed up. I love reading the gospel and just see the way, not even what Jesus necessarily said, but the way Jesus stood. It's so easy for people, like I said earlier, to see Jesus as arms folded, standing back, turning his back, frustrated. I don't know why I said it like that. Frustrated, (laughs) frustrated. (laughs) It's so easy to see the posture of Jesus in a negative concept, but I love in this story, this man, catch this, imagine this, this man is laying down for 38 years. He's laying on this porch and Jesus, he walks into this ghetto hospital and when he walks in, he sees this man who's hurting, broken. He notices him. You need to know today that God notices you and he walks in, he sees this man. I do not believe that Jesus stood over him, but I believe Jesus stood with him. We need to understand today that the posture of Jesus is like this. The posture of Jesus, he gets beside the guy and he starts asking him, son, do you want to get well? Today, Jesus is not standing over you. He's standing with you. You need to know today that he's not standing over you. He's standing with you. How do I know this? Look at the story of Peter walking on water. I love the fact that Peter walked on water and as preachers, it's easy to celebrate and talk about how it's important to walk on the word of God. When Jesus spoke, he responded. But how many of you guys know that Peter failed? Peter failed miserably. Peter lost faith like that because he saw the storms and everything coming. So what did Peter do? He started to sink down into the water. Do you know what the posture of Jesus wasn't? He didn't stand there with arms folded saying, Peter, you need to swim and figure it out. Jesus didn't say, Peter, you need to swim back to the boat. Peter, you should probably just think about it, probably repent in a few minutes. And Peter, actually, you know what? You should probably just swim back to the shore because you weren't worthy to be with me anymore. How many of you guys know that the posture of Jesus is down in the water, lifting Peter up out of the water? How many of you guys know that the posture of Jesus is, is when the woman was caught in adultery, Jesus went down into the dirt. How many of you guys know that Jesus is not standing with his arms folded, but his arms reaching out? Jesus is not turning his back on you, but he's running towards you. How many of you guys know that Jesus is not frustrated and angry, but he's got love and grace filled in his eyes? The posture of Jesus is arms open wide. When Jesus went to the cross, that wasn't just a momentary thing, but his constant posture is, son, daughter, I'm here. Son, daughter, I want to help you. Son, daughter, I want to be with you. Son, daughter, come to me. It even says in the Bible, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you've got a burden and a problem, just come to Jesus, and in a moment, Jesus can change it in your life. The posture of Jesus is so important to understand in the Bible. He's not standing over you. He's not angry. He's not bitter. He's not saying you've wasted too much time. You failed too many times. But just like Peter, he wants to lift you up out of the water and onto the dry boat. Can I get an amen? I've got another scripture for you guys. It is Romans 5, 6. And the band can come on up. Romans 5, 6, it says this. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That'll preach right there. I'd give an altar call right after that. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. My question to you guys today, is God your one and only or your one and many? Is God your one and only or your one and many? In Psalm 62, David said that he is the rock of my salvation. He is the rock of my salvation. He is my one and only. My life is built on Jesus and Jesus alone. Is your life built on many like the sand or is your life truly built on one, Jesus? I don't mean to belabor this too long, but I want you to catch this. Take an inventory of your soul right now. What is your life built on? We can be confident in placing Jesus as our foundation because while we were yet sinners, he still died for us. See, here's the problem is if our our, uh, life is built on sand, 
that issue, that insecurity, that addiction might only be a week, a month, or maybe even a few months old. But if our foundation is sand for too long, you'll find yourself in a 38 year problem, just like the gentleman we talked about. See, it wasn't his fault. He was born with an illness. But for some of us, we've got this sin inside of us. We've got this thing inside of us. We've got this split foundation inside of us. And in 38 years down the road, you're gonna look back saying, man, I haven't made any progress. Man, I I thought I'd be further down the road now. Man, I'm still struggling with that addiction from when I was a teenager, when I was a young adult, when we first began our marriage. But the moment we allow Jesus to be our one and only, it will change your life. I'm gonna close with this story. Um, How many of you guys, this is random. How many of you guys have an iPhone? Have an iPhone? A lot of us. So my problem with iPhones and my problem with everything is I'm clumsy and I drop my iPhone a lot. I now have like a bulletproof case on just so I don't break it. But this was about three, four years ago. I was doing our school of leadership at our church. I was doing our internship. And at this internship, we took a beach trip. This is the last time I actually went camping. I had a bad experience, okay? So we went camping to this beach. And when we went camping, um, I'll admit, I'm slightly addicted to the telephone. (laughs) I'm on social media, I'm texting, I'm all this. Um, And uh, three or four years ago, when we go camping, I'm trying to send a text out. I'm trying to text one of my friends and try to get this text out. And I don't know what got inside me, but I figured that the higher I held my phone, the better I'd get service to be able to send this text. So what I did was, was I'd press send, I would hold it up. See, the problem is I'm short, so I can't get it up very high. So I, I'd press send. What I started to do is I'd throw it up in the air <laughs> and hope when it hit the top that I would come down and it would send. Don't judge me. I was young. Judgment all over the room. So I'd press send. I'd throw it up. And I, I started to throw it up a little higher and higher every time. But it was the middle of the night. It was dark out. We're by this beach. There's no lights on or anything. But my phone has a light. So when I press send, I throw it up. I can still see it. How many of you guys with an iPhone know, after you don't touch the screen for a little while, that thing turns black. So I throw my phone up in the air, high, like higher than this roof. Screen turns black. I'm like, oh, dear Lord Jesus. So it comes down, hits me in the shoulder, bounces about 10 feet to the right, hits a drain pipe, the screen shatters. Has anyone ever shattered their screen before? It's a bad day. You had a bad day. So I pick up my phone, I'm angry. The text didn't even send. So for six months after that, I save up money. I'm just slowly but surely saving up money to buy a new phone because I don't like a cracked screen. No joke, the fiberglass would get stuck in my finger when I try to text. When I made a phone call one time, one of my buddies, after I'd gotten off the phone for about 10 minutes, he looks over and I had a fiberglass piece stuck in my side of my face with a little blood dripping down. I'm like, okay, this phone is demonic. I need to get a new one. So I'm saving up money after six months. I'm saving up, I'm saving up, I'm saving up. After six months, I finally get enough money to where I can go back to the store and buy myself a new phone. So I go back to the store and, and, and when I go back to the store, I tell the gentleman, we're kind of laughing, I'm sharing him the story that what had happened. And when we're at the store, he takes my phone to the back and he's back there for about 10, 15 minutes doing something. I'm just like, I just want a new phone. He comes back out and he's smiling and I think he's making fun of me. So I punched him, no, I'm kidding, uh, I'm kidding. So he comes out and he's smiling. He's like, hey, I just wanted to tell you um, that six months ago when this happened, you've had coverage this whole time. You could have brought it in the day it happened. I could have given you a new phone. Hold on. 
Catch this though. How gospel is this? So many times we're living broken. We've got a cracked screen. We've got issues. We've got insecurities. We've got stuff going on. We're hurting and we're broken, but we're trying to mask it. I even try to throw scotch tape over it so I wouldn't hurt my finger. How many times do we put a Band-Aid over a broken bone in our lives, hoping that it's just going to fix it? And we're living broken and hurting and, and in an issue. But how many of you guys know 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. How many of you guys know that Jesus, he doesn't want to make you less addicted. He doesn't want to make you less insecure. He doesn't want to make you less anxiety-filled. But he wants to give you fullness of freedom, fullness of joy, fullness of new life. Jesus doesn't make you better. He makes you new in the name of Jesus. So when we come to Jesus, we can be confident. He's saying, hey, hey, daughter, hey, son, I'm the one you've been searching for. I'm the one who can heal you. Stop going to that man. Stop going to that girl. Stop going to that computer screen. Stop going back to that job and that hobby. But I'm the one who can set you free. I'm the one who can save you. I'm the one who can set you free in the name of Jesus. Come on, church. Could you guys stand up to your feet? I want us to sing out King of my heart today. And let's sing out knowing that Jesus is the one who can set us free in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's sing this out.